expecting to have about two people here, and we're going to chill, shopping, and whatever else they do out here in Vegas, maybe gamble. But uh, Lori is unable to be with me, as you can tell. And let me just tell you what we've been going through as it relates to uh, life and marriage. And uh, two weeks ago, Lori, who's had a history of kidney stones, began to sense that she might be having one, and she felt the pain in her back, this was almost Sunday two weeks ago, began to just feel a little pain and pressure in her back, how many of you had kidney stones, let me see if you have and uh, she, she then began to run a little fever on Monday night, or Sunday night, took a little ibuprofen, Monday we went to the office to work, and, uh, and then comes Monday evening, the fever kicks back in, takes a little another ibuprofen, and... Uh, we go back to work the next day. Of course, the fever disappears during the day. And then about 2 in the morning, Wednesday morning, she just begins to vomit, uh, frankly. And uh, so she said, let's, let's go to the emergency room. So we take off and get to the hospital at 2.30. And uh, the ER doctor, Julie, who's in her church, and uh, she goes, I, I think Lily's not doing very well at all. I said, no. She's, and of course, she's lucid and everything. But... She said, let me run our blood work and let me, uh, let's get a scan. It obviously sounded like a kidney stone. And so uh, blood work comes back and uh, her blood count, her white blood cells are 35,000, 36,000. And if you know, you're probably supposed to be at five to 8,000. And uh, the stone is sitting right in the urinary tract of the kidney. And uh, so then the doctor finally gets here about 5.30 to, he's gonna go in there and look what he can do with that stone. And uh, she begins to, uh, uh, bottom out. Her blood pressure goes to 50 over 30, and she's now in full septic or sepsis shock, if you guys know what that is. Her body just begins to shut down. Now, you got to remember, we don't know any of this is going on. All I know is the doctor and Joey like, hey, it's going to be good. We'll probably have to put a stand in until we can get to the stone. So I'm probably sitting in the waiting room, drinking a Dr. Pepper or something like that, just hanging out. And uh, so finally, Doc comes in about an hour and a half later, and he says, we just have lost a lot of patients. Uh, on the table as sick as warriors. And uh, you guys must be believers in God. I said, I think we are. Uh, and uh, he said, let me just tell you, she could have and should have died. Uh, because what happened was, as you guys know, the body is now just full of bacteria. And what happened was the stone was blocking uh, the kidney. And uh, with all of that, her lung then collapsed. And uh, again, we're looking at this through the rear view mirror of a car. We're just kind of like, whoa! Wow, that was... And then just keep hearing news. And uh, so, fast forward, she spent most of the week in uh, ICU. And then this past week, she was able to come home on Monday. And uh, they took the stone and zapped it on Thursday. And uh, she's been passing the little fragments since Thursday until uh, yesterday. Everything uh, checked out good. They removed the stent. And I hear that's probably not very comfortable as a woman. And uh, she probably would not like me to tell you that, but... Uh, <laughs> real justification as to why she's not here. And uh, and then she's really doing good as of uh, this morning. She's doing 100% better. So thank you guys for not drinking. And uh, I wasn't, I didn't know. And you know what it made me do to have this conversation with Lori? Uh, it realizes and it, it brings to us is that we weren't praying specifically in septic shock. We weren't, we weren't praying against this bacterial attacking body. Uh, we didn't know that her blood pressure dropped and her lung had collapsed. How many are thankful for God? Listen, even when you don't pray the right prayers, yeah. He has your back. Yeah. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get over-religious. Oh, we didn't pray about that. 
Or when someone says to me, Pastor John, I didn't, I didn't pray this morning. I didn't pray, therefore I've had a bad day. You know what that likens to? That's like me not being home, sleeping with Lori, waking up and going, you know what, Lori, I, had to, I committed adultery because you weren't with me today. You see what I'm saying? It's a spirit. And God is faithful. And God is consistent. And I also do believe. That's why we do pray at all times and always. So that we have in our bank a large deposit. So that when we need a major withdrawal of God's power and God's protection, God is faithful. And so we have been walking through that. And uh, it's actually really been also uh, maritally a nice little checkup. Especially on me. When uh, I left the hospital one evening about 11 o'clock, she said, I'm good. I think you can go to the house and uh, I'll need you to spend the night. And uh, I'm like, okay, praise God. And uh, no, really, I'll stay. No, no, no. And uh, so, uh, and that was an ICU. Of course, they're checking every hour. And uh, I said, I'll see you in the morning. I'll be up there early. And I got there about 9, 9.30. Now, this is, this is part of the marriage talk that I'm about to give you. We've been married 27 years. And uh, we have worked 24 hours a day, 7 days a week in the ministry for 25 years. So we have only worked together. Uh, and so we, we, we pulled together. With that being said, I didn't get there till about 9. And she goes, where are you? And I said, I've got to work it. Let me just tell you, we've had to walk through some aggressive fellowship. <laughs> I said, you were in the hospital. You were doing good. I thought I would have been in the way of the doctors and the nurses. I didn't want to. In fact, I'm all about me getting healed. How many men could sometimes, no, let me ask this question. How many women, how many wives could say, my husband could use a little sensitivity training? <laughs> Raise your hand, this is your opportunity. We're going to get raw and we're going to get real in this next uh, 50 minutes that we're going to spend time together. Um, before I get into the Word, I just want to share with you, we have, as I said, Lori uh, comes from a ministry background. She has spent her whole life in ministry. She's the fifth generation on both sides of her family tree. Everybody's in ministry. Nobody's lost. Everybody's gone to heaven. Uh, everybody's been a part of making heaven a reality. Uh, they've been club members, if you will. If there's a club level in, uh, in heaven, Lori's family is in that club level. Her dad died while preaching on a Sunday morning. She watched her father die at 45 years of age, preaching about the healing power of God. He had a stroke about two years prior. God had miraculously healed him and uh, regained his ability to speak and to lead. And, uh, and then on Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, 1988, uh, while preaching about how when, his, when he was a little boy, he prayed for his chickens. And God would heal his chickens. And it brought to him a, a level of faith that just always believed God for healing. And when he bent down to talk about this little story, he just rolled over. And uh, he never regained consciousness. And she was sitting there with her two brothers. So if Lori at that time was 19, her brother Paul was 14, 15, and Matt was 11. And her mother was on the keyboard. Paul, that was 39 years of age. And um, the next Sunday, her mother was playing keyboard. All three of them back in church. And let me just tell you, as their dad passed away, much of what they had what was lost. But that family never turned. That all three are still in the ministry, all in full-time ministry. David Platt's church in Birmingham, where he was at Brook Hills. Matt Mason, that's Lori's youngest brother, uh, is the senior pastor there at that church. 
Paul served with me for uh, uh, his, uh, 15 years and is now pastor of his own congregation, Satellite Campus in uh, San Antonio. And, uh, and Lori stuck with me. So, uh, and then Lori's mother remarried a missionary who had lost his wife tragically uh, in a car accident in Costa Rica. And so, with all that being said, so I stuck this on my butt and I'm going to get him. He was the last time I touched my butt. You gotta have a decent body to walk out on a runway and preach. Let me just look more specific. You gotta have a decent butt. I'm not walking out. I just don't. I'm not saying I was looking at Judge Butt, but let me just say. You have a bad butt, you don't need a runway. Because half of you are having to look at your butt. So, sidebar with that. I come from a whole different background. My father was an NFL football coach. Uh, Canadian Football League coach. My mom and dad were done with the church by the time I was born in 1964. Uh, my mother was raised uh, Catholic in Mississippi. My dad was raised Baptist in Mississippi. And by the time they meet, and of course the war is over, my dad goes into professional football as a player first and then as a coach. Um, they both had bad experiences in church. And uh, really were kind of done with church. They, they really had some justifiable reasons. And uh, I have two older brothers. And so I'm the baby by 10 and 12 years. And uh, I come along, and two players, I'm at 14 years of age, I've never heard of the gospel, never been to a church service. And uh, two players at the Atlanta Falcons football training camp, Greg Verzina and Ralph Ortega, they begin to share the gospel with me. The seed is sown. I go off uh, after high school in Louisiana. I end up going to LSU play football. And there, my junior year, I came into a radical conversion to Christ January the 10th, 1987. So Lori covers the righteous side. I cover the healing side. She's the law abider and the strict one. And uh, just, she, she keeps the rules and I break them. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, it's worked so far. Um, she's never preached on a Sunday morning. A lot of people think because Lori does co meet with me and sits and, and of course, the executive pastor with us. Uh, she's she's never preached by herself on a Sunday morning. I'm just saying a few things because some people think as co-leaders and co-pastors that that means that she will share the pulpit or or some people just have that thought. And uh, she's never preached by herself on a Sunday. I've tried to. Now we co-teach and we've done, done a lot of uh, parenting and uh, a lot of marriage, of course, on the weekends together. And she leads a large women's ministry and preaches and speaks around the country herself. But um, I would set the vision and, uh, of course, the speed of the vision, and then she, with our executive team, really pulls it together and makes it happen. And as you can imagine, when you live and work together, when, when you work together, it's uh, it's very hard. It can be very difficult. And, and I'm going to talk a little. How many of you do work together in the ministry? Uh, you guys are side by side. Okay, so you know how you know. There's it can be wonderful or it can be hell, uh, and. Uh, that's the truth. And we got to learn how to navigate that. we got to learn how to walk through and, uh, and how to survive and then, and then also how to raise three kids. So we have a 25-year-old Mason who uh, has been married for one year, went to LSU as soon as he graduated from the high school there where we live in Austin, wanted to go back to LSU and uh, married a wonderful girl who they're both very involved in our church. Mason has really uh, come into his own as a very successful uh, corporate real estate uh, agent and uh, is doing really well and lives to give. He's never wanted to be in the pastor, he's never wanted to preach, but he loves to give. 
He loves ministry. He loves the church. And uh, they lead several of our teams. But uh, they are both full-time in real estate. And then my 21-year-old Connor, who coached uh, after high school, he went into coaching, coached at Mississippi State. His best buddy is Dak Prescott, if uh, you're a Cowboy fan. And uh, Connor coached uh, quarterbacks there with Dak and uh, and then actually went to Houston and uh, Major Applewhite offered him a position. He's 21 years old and the guy is like a little Bill Belichick, like, all the way six foot five. And then uh, this past spring, he said, Dad, I'm done with football. Uh, I don't want to lay down my life for a football game. I want to do it for God. And so he's always felt the call of God, but uh, it was just the timing. And so he's now on staff with us and also, of course, taking college courses. And that uh, was part of our agreement. You will get your degree in Jesus. same time, our kids learned separately. My mother, who thought we were crazy doing what we were doing, who recently passed away last year, went to heaven, barely, but here we're chin chin chin. One day she comes to visit us in year two of our church plan. And it's all hands on deck. I mean, we don't have an office. Our office is in our bedroom. How many have an office in your bedroom? Okay, so you know how this works. And, uh, 
and Laurie is given to work. I'm given to faith. And so uh, I'm sometimes like, hey, can you shut down the office? You are married here. Uh, and so, uh, unless you want to go to the desk. And that's a whole other subject of how to keep things Service. 
And what are you doing with these things? And the oldest of his children said, Daddy, we live with two kinds of people. There's two men. You're, you're, you're two different men. There is a man that we see in the pulpit who is sweet, who is nice, who is kind, who is patient. And we have decided we like that man than the man that we see at home who is not sweet, who is not kind, and we have moved our things to be with the man that we like. Dr. Cho realized from that day on, he was not going to be two people. He was not going to have two different lifestyles, two different attitudes. He wasn't going to not manifest on the people and then manifest on the wife or the kids. And I think probably most of us don't manifest on our people. But guess who we manifest on? Guess who gets the bad part of us? I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. I'm going to break down some thoughts because this is where I'm going to go. I want you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write the word, these two words, shared meaning. Shared meaning. Shared meaning. Now, let me just tell you what you're probably all experiencing in marriage. Shared experiences. And you will live life, especially as a ministry couple. You're either going to live life as a married couple from the position with the perspective of shared experiences and situations. Or you're going to live with the perspective of a shared meaning. Circumstances, circumstantial situations. It's much like the thought between happiness and joy. Happiness is based on what? Happening. It's whatever's happening, you are in that atmosphere. If it's, if it's happening good, everybody's good. Everybody's happy. You had a good Sunday. You know, you had a few people. Um, your, your dream team showed up. Um, unlike the first Sunday, I'm driving to Plant Art Church in Round Rock, Texas, and I get pulled over by uh, uh, the Round Rock Police Department. I said, where are you going, boy? I said, I'm Plant Church. with your speed. And uh, wrote us a ticket. And what's funny is about six months ago, that same cop goes, you remember getting a ticket your first time when you started this church 17 years ago? He said, I sure do, you jerk. And he goes, we are now members of this church. And I know that story. I said, you didn't pay my bill, though. And uh, so with that, uh, what happens to a lot of couples is they get lost in the experience, situations, the circumstances, the heart, the hardships. The hard, the hardness of the of planting a church, or some of you are praying about planting a church. You might be right now thinking, I ain't planting no church after this session, uh, and I hope I have talked to you. In fact, if I can talk you out of it in this nice gym uh, on the second floor, uh, if I if I can shake you now from not going into church planting, I have done a good job. I'll do that with couples that will come in and say, we're thinking about getting married, Pastor Joe. We'll do counseling to convince somebody that I know have a relationship with. My first counseling session is to do everything I can to keep them from getting married. Because guess what? If I can do it, the devil serves me. And uh, if we don't live in a shared view, I meet so many couples, and then, of course, we've planted over 700, 800 churches coming up on 800 apartments. So many of the couples that we've had over the years where the wife loved the ministry or didn't love the ministry or the husband loved the ministry or didn't love the ministry. And 
I'm going to just tell you, all that does, without sharing any of the ministry, the real depth of why we do what we do as a couple, for the glory of God, you will not stay together, except you find the real meaning of your marriage. And the real meaning of your marriage, listen, is to preach the gospel through your marriage. The example that Christ, and of course we know what Paul said, the reason for the marriage was for what reason in the book of Ephesians? To display God's love for the world. And just as Christ would lay down his life for the church, just as Christ would give up everything and to have that bride in his life and in his heart to have shared meaning, he says, so is the husband and the wife to make sure that their marriage preaches the gospel. And that your marriage first. I, there was a church planter in Austin after we arrived not that long ago. And uh, I had just heard that the, this, this church dissolved. And I said, we had a couple people show up from that church. And I was told that uh, the husband, he, he would show up and the wife, he stood up the first week or two and said, hey, my wife's sick. And uh, two or three more weeks go by. Hey, continue to pray for her. She's still recovering from kidney stones. And uh, <laughs> I promise you, really contact you. <laughs> and uh, three months, they never saw the church. Oh, they never saw the wife in the church. But he continued to preach. He continued to lead. Continued to support a fake marriage. And it didn't take long. Finally, the news had to come out. Of course, it did. It would. Whatever is done in secret will be what. It's going to be shut from the rooftop, and nothing will shut louder than planting a church. And uh, it had been discovered that she had left them. She was gone. She moved away. She had packed up the kids and had gone back to her mother and her father. And yet he was trying to do this church thing. He was trying to do this ministry thing. Because they lost their meaning. Now look at this story in the book of Genesis. And then I'm going to give you a couple thoughts about, about marriage. And how we need to make sure what real joy is. So the Bible says the Lord appeared. Appeared to Abraham. While Abraham was sitting at the tent door in the middle or the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and there were these men. Of course, these three men, we know who they were. They were were angelic beings. They were messengers of God. And the Bible says when he sees them, now I want you to see this. When he sees the angel, when he he sees God, when when he is in the atmosphere or the presence of God, he what? He runs from the tent. He meets them. I want you to see the... Look at the energy that Abraham is willing to pour into the ministry. Genesis what? This is Genesis chapter 18. Yeah. And so he, he sees them. He runs. He comes to them. He bows down to them. He says, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, we want you to stay. Please do not pass by here. Please let a little water be brought. I want to wash your feet. I want you to rest. I I, I, I want you to see this. Let's just pretend that Abraham is a church planter. And look where all his energy is going. Look where all of his attention is going. Look where all his money is going. Look where all of his thoughts are going. It's, it's all about the church. And there's a truth to that. There's a, that time and that season and there are those moments where it looks like you are the farthest away from being a family man or a family woman. There will be days when it looks like you're a workaholic and you're not a caring person at all when it comes to your kids. And then there will be those days where it looks like you could care less about the church and all you do is care about the kids. 
But in this case, we find this activity going on until the Bible tells us. He says, I want to wash your feet. I want to, I want to minister to you. I, I, just, I want the favor of God. We're praying. We're seeking the Lord. You know, one of the greatest issues that Lori and I had in our first couple of years of marriage, when it was time to go to bed. Now, I got discipled by guys like Leonard Ravenhill, David Wilkerson. That's where I cut my teeth. These guys, if you didn't pray six and eight hours a day, you were nothing. You're a piece of trash. I mean, really, that's don't read their books um, unless you want to be mean and religious. And so, um, although I loved them and I was impacted by them, but let me just tell you what I what I did to my wife in the first couple of years. We get ready to go to bed, ten thirty, eleven o'clock, and uh, I said, Lord, I need to get up and pray. I need to go seek God. And probably for about the first two months, I didn't go to bed with her. I just I'd get up and go and seek God, go and pray. And watch, I want you to see what can happen in a ministry if we're not careful, okay? But both of you have to get the meaning of this. Watch. So he, he says, let me bring a piece of bread. Look at verse 5. That you may refresh yourself and then you can go on your journey. Of course, where are they going? Where are these angels going? They're on their way to where? Sodom. They're on their way to a, a big launch. <laughs> uh, something big is about to happen in Sodom, right? And so... With all of this going on, verse 6, So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, and he said, Hey, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, make bread cakes. So Abraham ran to the herd, and he took a tender, uh, took a, a lamb, a choice calf, and gave it to the servants, and, and, they, and she hurried to prepare it. Then he took the curds and the milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And as, as he was standing by them, under the tree, they were eating. Now watch in verse 9. They said to Abraham, and this little phrase lives in the back of my head. Where is your wife, Sarah? Now what did Abraham know? He knew where those angels were. He knew everything about the ministry. But he had lost sight of Sarah. Did you think of angels knew where Sarah was? Do you think they really couldn't see? Well, they knew exactly where Sarah was. But what was beginning to take place? There was a there was a losing of each other. There was a there was a distance. She's in the tent. Where she belonged. <laughs> I well, I'd have died if I was And I want to challenge you. I want to, I want to make sure that uh, we in our activity of ministry, because most pastors, most ministry homes struggle in parenting. In fact, a lot of pastors, they fight the enemy. They fight off hell against the church, against their spirit, against the congregation, against bill collectors, wherever else you might be trying to rent a building. You know, let me just tell you our journey. I was in a, I was in a Round Rock library, a two-room library, we went to a hotel conference center, and then an industrial plex building, we, we, and a school cafeteria, uh, an elementary school cafeteria. That, and uh, I don't even know if people don't like to worship in miniature chairs. <laughs> That's why we tell you, be careful on where you're going to use what school. Uh, but with that, you're fighting to keep this ministry alive. You're fighting to keep the church. You're fighting to just get people to come and serve. You cast vision. 
And then how many of us have to go home and fight like hell to keep our marriages together? I'll tell you what. You're not seeing the one who's unseen. You're seeing what's seen. How did Moses endure? Hebrews 11 tells us he endured and he was able to continue in his pathway, in his journey for God because he saw him who was unseen. He saw Christ behind him. For the joy, what did Jesus say? For the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the suffering. He, he, he was able, he, he, he guarded his heart, he guarded his mind, he, he guarded his spirit. He, he, he would not allow what people were saying, he, if, if you will, you and I have got to be very careful to guard our spirit, guard our mouth towards, right here, the one that we're sitting with, or the one that we're living with, or the one that right now, frankly, maybe some of y'all, you've lost each other. And I just want to challenge you with this thought. Where is your wife? Where is your husband? Did, now, I'm not asking that physically. You know what I think they were asking? They were asking, I think, in several ways. I think they were saying, okay, where's your wife spiritually? Where is she spiritually? Because husbands, guess what our job is? To wash our wives with what? The Word of God. It's our job to first pastor our wives. To pastor her. And I will say, I, this has been a big challenge in the last three years. Lori's been relatively healthy since she had cancer in our second year of marriage. She was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, had 28 treatments of radiation, and uh, we had to take our first son, Mason, in the 25, two months, or two months early, actually. And so I had, to, I had to go up real quick, had to care for her. And then it's been pretty good up until these last couple weeks. And all of a sudden, I had to go, whoa, big boy. So your workout is more important than being at your wife's side when she's in the hospital. And I think that's what Abraham was hearing from God. He was saying, Abraham, it's amazing how quick you are to respond to us. What about your wife? Uh, I've heard it said, and it's true, I think, the secretary of the pastor, the assistant of the pastor, versus the wife knows more about what's going on in that pastor. And if our assistants and if our green team, if our world that we work with the church know more about us than our family, than our special wife or our husband, and guys, I'm going to put a little more pressure on you because we set the temperature of that home. We set the atmosphere of that home. We are the ones that if we lose the confidence of our wife sitting on the front row of your preaching, because I can tell you, your people might be going like this. You preach it, Pastor. And the wife can be sitting on that front row on the inside. She is nodding, you know, you are a liar. <laughs> Some of you might hate the ministry. Some of you might be here today. And uh, 
frankly, you, you just are done with it. I hope that maybe just this next few moments that we break out some principles. I pray that God restores your joy. Because what was one of the prayers, we know that primarily when Jesus came to the end of His ministry and time on the planet, John chapter 17, Jesus was praying relational prayers. And we'll talk about relationships tonight. But Jesus was praying relationship thought prayers. Father, I pray that they will have my joy and that they will have joy to the full. Because Jesus knows that if we lose our joy in our marriages and in our home, we're going to lose it all. And what good is it if we win the world to Christ and we lose our marriage. Let me just give you a couple of practical applications to come as it relates to the filling of our lives, if you will, shared meaning, okay? Because this is what I'm talking about. Having this shared meaning, going deeper. You just cannot chalk it up. Please don't let yourself go down the enemy's pathway. Well, it's a personality thing. No, it's not. You've got to get beyond that. You can't see that. You, well, he's not this, or they're not that, or she's this, or she's... You, we're going to, guys, I'm just going to tell you, you've got to get beyond the superficial. We wrestle not with what? Flesh and blood. She is, or he is not the enemy. And the moment we begin to attack and destroy and accuse and begin to dis- turn to each other... Because I'm going to just say, sometimes we get so frustrated dealing with Dream Team and volunteers, we just take it out on each other. I mean, we just go home and we just... And, and we've had to learn. We, we've had to learn. And, and Lori, thankfully, because she's been at this a lot longer than I have, she watched, she watched the mom and dad do it right. And uh, she, she has been wonderful to help me because my parents fought for fun. How many had parents that just... I mean, it was, that, was, that was the show. I mean, because alcohol was a big part of our lives growing up. Um, so let me just give you a couple thoughts. Number one, when it comes to shared meaning and, and joyful, put it like this, for a joyful marriage, let me just say it like this, a joyful marriage is not always a happy marriage. It's not You're not going to always feel happy. You're not going to always wake up going, I want to be married to you. <laughs> No, you don't. No, you don't. If you could kill him, you would. How many women would agree? You have said that. Thank you so much. In fact, your husbands are not here. You killed them. They're dead. <laughs> Amen. Hey, we're in Vegas. This is what you guys can do. Let's just look at a marriage. It's a, not a marriage story, but it is a marriage. How about the marriage of John and Jesus? Because how many know that's a relationship, right? I mean, that's they were family. And where's John? When he's upset, he's mad because he is where? He's in prison. And guess what? Everybody is experiencing this wonderful ministry of Jesus. They're getting the good side of Jesus, and John's getting the bad side of Jesus. In fact, when he heard that John was in prison, you know what the Bible says? In fact, it was the same way with Lazarus. When he heard Lazarus was dead, or when John was in prison, he went the opposite direction. Jesus went to work out, and your wife is in the hospital dying of kidney stones. There's a scripture. I have a scripture for everything. I told you, if you believe, you will see the resurrection of God. So, with that, uh, Jesus and John, 
And of course, John goes, do I look for another man? Do you think maybe I should have married another guy or had given my life to another man? Do I look for another? Are you the one or do I look for another? And what did Jesus tell John? He told John, the, line, the lame, I was going to say the lame disease, the lame, uh, of course the blind, the deaf, all those people that I came to touch and heal. And, uh, oh, oh, tell John, Matthew verse 6, verse, yeah, verse 6, you tell John, blessed is he who does not get offended while he's in relationship with me. Let me tell you how you say there. You become unoffendable. How do you become unoffendable? How do you get where you're not offended at the church? You're not offended at the schedule. You're not offended. I'm not saying we don't have proper boundaries and there's times. But you know, especially in the church planet, I'd love to tell you, you turn that phone off at 5 o'clock in the church planet time, and I'm going to be honest with you, most of the days you can. There'll be a time, and yes, there are those days, and I get that. Sometimes you're in the middle of a war. Planting is warfare. It's hard. But the way that you stay unoffendable, the way that you don't allow offense to come into your life, John the Baptist said it. He gave us his message. He just forgot about it when he got offended. I must be increased so that he can Die, sucker, die. That's what I got. It's dead. Marriage is dead. You die. That's, that's what marriage is. I have to die. Because how can you get two people? People are just leaving as I'm speaking about this anyway. Um, they're like, I'm not dying. I'm out of here. My marriage was good until I came to this place. Uh, just, just recognize that not all days are going to be happy days. But joy. Now where does joy come from? Where does joy come from? Please help me with it. Is it circumstances or is it Christ? It's His joy. Joy is not yours or mine. It's not produced. It's not fabricated. It's God's... Here's the definition of joy. It's the pleasure of God manifested. That's all of it. It's, it's connected to glory. So when Jesus said, I pray that they would have the same glory, Father, that, that you and I have had. Whenever there was in the Old and New Testament the manifestation of glory, it's God's pleasure. It was God's delight. And where was He pleased? When we were in obedience. Not just to God, but to one another. We are could be obedient and when we're walking. And God knows it. And if we're dishonest with Him, which I'll be a part of this next point, when you realize this, that you're not always going to wake up and it's not always going to be happy, but please recognize that joy is different from happiness. Number two, a joyful marriage relationship won't always agree on everything, but they agree on the big things. Just for the sake of time. They agree, a joyful marriage agrees on big things. Or the phrase, keep the main thing what? The main thing. Because oftentimes we end up losing our marriage, we lose our home, we lose our peace. Our kids don't want to come back to our church, they don't want to come back to our home, you know why? Because we've lost sight of the glory of God. We've lost sight of what God wants to do in us through all circumstances and situations. One of the haunting scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I think it's verse 6, 
is when Paul makes a statement to the Corinth church. Fighting or schisms or divisions must come among you. For what reason, he said. Therefore, to find out what is revealed or what is true. So when someone's, I, I call it the hitchhiker theory of God. Have you ever been on the interstate back when you could pick up hitchhikers? <laughs> okay, we don't do that too often anymore. But I remember back in the day, you, I, I pick up hitchhikers and stuff. And, and every now and then, if you're getting close, you're like, you're trying to, there's a gun, there's a knife. You're just trying to figure out, is this, would this be okay? Is this a situation that I just need to take them down to the McDonald's? And then, as you're like getting closer, and you're looking, and he's looking at you, and then you just go, oh no, and you just keep going, and you just pass him. And then you look in the rearview mirror, and you're getting a one-way sign to Jesus. All of a sudden, he's got a gun going. Well, let me tell you what God will do with us. He'll put us in situations where there will be this seemingly opportunity for us, and he'll pass right by. Or we will have somebody pass right by us. Our husband, our wife will pass right by us. You know what the Lord wants to see? He wants to see if you're still giving one-way signs to Jesus. Or He's number one. He wants to see what comes out of your mouth so that you know what to work on. How are you going to be conformed to His image and His likeness? Hebrews 5 tells us that Christ learned obedience to the things that He suffered. Now, was He ever disobedient? Was Christ ever disobedient? No, don't play the game. Well, He went out with His mother. He had to be with His father's business. But how do you learn more obedience if he was always obedient? And I just think it's, it's a, he just went deeper. He just went, and he became more sensitive to the people around him. Let me tell you what God's trying to do with you. And I think that you pick up, we're not just doing an app session. God brought you here to encounter you. You've got to become spiritual. Or more spiritual. Or you're not going to make it. Because you're going to be like the disciples when the storm said, We're dying! Oh, God! You don't care about us, God! You put us out here! You told us to plant this church! Next thing you know, you're accusing God. I had a guy one time, pastor, actually one of our church plants, several years ago, said, If God doesn't do this, I'm going to, I don't even know how to do this. I said, Guess what? You better start packing. Because you think God's going to answer that? You think God's going to all of a sudden, oh, I don't want you to not believe in me. I'm so sorry. No, I, I don't. You'll be a heretic by tonight. Because that's the way God is. He doesn't play. Remember the rich young ruler? Now, I think before we can talk a little bit more, I need you to go back and take care of some issues. You've got some stuff that you haven't let go of. And then you can come back and follow me. In our world of the gospel today, guess what? We would have made that guy an elder. A leader. We don't want him to be turned off. We don't want him to be upset. We gotta work. We gotta thank God for He's sending us these gifts, and we need to be careful. All right, that's enough of that preacher right there. Number three, and I'm only going to give you five. Joyful marriage relationships are transparent relationships. They're see through. Transparency means to be seen through. And I'm going to tell you, Ori and I, if there's a secret. Is that there's nothing, and there's not an awful something that she or I cannot talk about. Now, I'll be honest with you, my wife is about 99.99% 99 
percent correct. And that's what makes me so curious about living in this world. My worship pastor and oversees all our creative arts. And Daniel and Celeste have been on our staff for what, 12 years now? And they probably have lived as close to us as any couple in our church. Definitely by standing up. She just doesn't make mistakes. I hate it. And so, uh, so when I talk about transparency, I don't, I don't really, I very rarely have something to say. Like, I need to talk to you about something in your life. I did try to say something to her in this whole kidney stem situation. I'm not your mother. I don't think that worked really well. And so, um, transparent. When we don't communicate, or when we're afraid to communicate, when we're afraid to talk, well, you don't want to bring that up right now. Oh, it's a bad season. It's a bad time. There's a lot of pressure on him. There's a lot of pressure in our home. That's not God's transparency. That's not, that's not marriage. That's not how this is supposed to roll. And if we're going to have proper relationships, Paul makes this statement again to the Corinth church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You can look it up. He just says, my mouth is open. I want to talk. But you, O Corinthians, you are closed in your mouth and in your affections. You don't want to talk. And I, I know because I'm married. There's a good chance that one or both of you, when offense situation, somebody probably seals up. Somebody turns the shoulder, and uh, the house is quiet for a couple of days. How many have ever had that experience in your neighbor's house? Okay, <laughs> it goes quiet. Let me just tell you what's happening in that atmosphere. There will be a volcanic explosion at some point. Faster we learn to communicate, faster we learn to be honest and transparent. Please look at and study anything by John Gottman. How many of you have ever heard of John Gottman? Okay. Probably Jewish, uh, actually a religious Jew, but the foremost leader when it comes to the study of tens of thousands of couples in laboratory settings as to how marriage can be predicted whether it's going to be successful or a failure. And there are what he calls the four horsemen of the predictor of divorce. Uh, one, and I'm not necessarily in this order, but one is criticism. When we begin to criticize each other, we don't speak life-giving words. Two would be contempt. We begin to hate. Uh, we begin to uh, just have this uh, anger, obviously. Third is uh, stonewalling. I actually think they put that in fourth. That there is this uh, this shutting down, just not uh, not talking. Yeah, forgetting the letter D. There's one more. Somebody help me. What is it? Defense. I think that's it. And uh, we become defensive. And I'm just a, a study that guy. Study his words. Jimmy Evans, who wrote Mary Home. If you listen to Jimmy, uh, Jimmy hardly goes without a message, without referencing um, John Gottman and the importance of communication. <laughs> Number four, joyful relationships, marriage relationships are growing relationships. Growing. You got to grow. How's your Bible? 
How's your Bible time? How did your prayer time? You, you know, Lori and I are not... Probably some of you might have the discipline that you guys can pray for 30, 40 minutes a day together, holding hands. <laughs> we know. Uh, my wife's a prayer warrior. I mean, she just she lives in the presence of God. But, and yes, we have our prayer time, and we try to have a prayer time together daily. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, that's, uh, and that's something that we probably need to grow better in after 27 years. I'll, I'll be honest and say uh, that would be an area and an issue that starts with me. But I want to ask you in your own personal life, in your own personal are you taking responsibility for your own growth? Are, are you growing? Are you expanding? Because what happens to marriage, and oftentimes, is uh, people get bored with each other. And you know why I get bored? Because nobody's learning. It's the same old thing. It's the same old lifestyle. The same old revelation. And you and I, to be attractive, I really do believe we must grow. And I think that is attractive. That, that is something that, you know, you can see over the years of guys who get into an affair with really an unattractive woman. You're like, what in the world are you? Arnold Schwarzenegger, what are you thinking? <laughs> But you know what? I mean, it just got boring to him. It wasn't, it wasn't a physical thing. There just wasn't growth going on in the marriage. They weren't growing together. And Jimmy really does a good job also talking about doing a marriage retreat. You guys getting away. Setting your calendar. Doing your date nights as much as you can. Or date fights, whichever you want to call them. <laughs> Sometimes we have more date fights than date nights. And then number five, joyful relationships. A marriage relationships are focused relationships. Focused. Focused. What's the goal? Paul says, I have one goal. This is one thing I do. But you know what? We do it together. Ten times in the book of 1 John, the word fellowship. Let me just say, he uses this little line in verse... Of chapter 1. This is the message. And you know what the message is in 1 John? Fellowship. That's the message. Relationship. And we need to make sure we understand what preaches louder than me at Celebration Church is how people see me in my life. And it's not a show. It is not so that we can create ourselves a long life. In fact, as you guys all see it, this generation is becoming less and less with people on the platform. Yes. This whole show thing that we sometimes get ourselves into. I feel like I've Broadway produced 52 weeks. <laughs> how do you feel like that? Like, oh, we gotta get it. I don't know. How much of that is Christianity anyway? Versus showtime. Versus performance. Uh, Question before we go. It's three o'clock. They said we can go to about three, four, five. Any questions? Please. Daniel, you got a question? <laughs> no, great, my friend. Daniel, they have a microphone, I think. Or is this the <laughs> Thank you. Give it up for Gabriel. Come on. What advice would you give to somebody that, uh, you know, maybe they recognize that marriage is not itself? Yeah, understandable. Um, but what do you do when that person finds that somebody other than their mate 
place of your life. Yeah. Die to themselves. Uh, give no room for the end. So that's the end. The Puritans had a great phrase when it came to temptation and lust and an attraction to, well, uh, emotional attraction, emotional faith. Uh, you have to live with the bait and the hook mentality. Puritans say you've got to see the hook behind the bait. There's a hook behind that girl, that guy. There's a hook behind that potential connection. you got to see the hook. What is that hook all about? Ripping you out of your God-given destiny. Pulling you out of God's will for your life. And when you live with that thought, so Jesus says, I went throughout this world. And he goes, Satan came He says, but he found no opportunity. You just got to have this thought. That's not even an option. Okay, last night, we're at the Badera Hotel. Nick Kane and I are walking back into the hotel. Nick's a little bit ahead of me. He's talking to Chris Kane. And there's a prostitute, but you didn't know it. I'm telling you, she's about 17, 18 years old. She goes, hey, how you doing? I don't know how you She goes, hey, where are you from? Boy, immediately. Got to take a rocket scientist. We're in Vegas. And uh, immediately, immediately, you got, you got to, as a man, Especially, we have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because you've got to realize, as nice as that may seem, as, as comforting as that may be, there's going to be hell to pay. It's, I love Popeye's chicken. <laughs> but there's going to come a payday on my wasteland. And you've got to live with the future in your mind. And, and you've got to close the door to that. So Jesus said, Satan came to look for an opportunity, but I gave him no ground. So, translation, if I want to find problems, if I want to find an affair, an emotional affair, a connection with a woman in my church, I can find it today. Today. I can find it. Now here, because we're all pastors. But I can find it. You can find it. You're going to find it. You're looking for it. Okay, so what I'm telling you, you don't look for it. Because you've got to live in mind to the pleasure of God, to the, to the thought of God. Is this going to break? Is this going to break God's heart in the morning? Therefore, it's going to break my wife's heart. Gonna, you just got to see the pain that's going to be produced. And I want to tell you, thank you for that. Because that's how I think. And if we don't talk this out, if we don't get there and go to some of these thoughts, because we begin to rationalize, we begin to play. Uh, any other thoughts? That's a great question. Yes, sir. Go ahead and just say that. Or you let me go. Yeah, no. Um, so how do you find the balance between uh, full-time ministry in church setting for, and versus your spouse having ministry in the secular setting? For what I call yeah. uh, my wife, for example, works 40 hours a week doing social work. Yeah. And so, like, church is great for her, but also... Yeah. You can only do... It's all day. That's right. No. no. And there are some things that you're going to have to... Dr. Cloud talks about boundaries. You're, you're going to have to realize there's some things, big things. You got to put the big rocks in. And so some some congregations, or if we're not careful, some ministry experiences put on they put a pressure on a woman who, like your wife is working outside, and then they want her to have this role and, and be at everything and to be the pastor to everybody or to be the women's pastor. And you know what? We all have different models. So like Lori has been, as I said, working with me. We've been working together. I probably work more with her, doing what she tells me to do. Chris, Chris Hodges and Tammy, 
That's, that's, that's not Hollywood. She, she's uh, never had that role. That's not her call. She's always felt like to stay home and take care of the kids. And so Chris has never, he's never allowed that to penetrate into Tammy's heart. Well, you know, Lori does that. Or Carrie Weems and Stovall, they're very much like Joe and Lori. And there's just some things you've got to go, no, that's not how we roll. And so you just, you just have to help manage that. And, uh, and don't apologize for how God has made you to be. Don't. Because there was a day, as many of you probably came out of the church, my pastor, Mel Davis, from Vancouver, would say, Joe, we had cars we hated, we had houses we hated, we had to wear clothes we hated, because we're more worried about the people. And so, T.D. Jakes, I love it. He says, you better make sure you have your life because somebody will give you one that you don't want. Yes. And it's amazing how they don't want you to have life, but they want their life. So just you better be careful that you are able to manage your home. And, and just, that's the way you work. That's fine. Lori worked for two years before while I was full-time minister. So just, we did what we did. Yes, sir. If you could go back uh, towards the beginning of your ministry or just years before, what is something you would do differently with all this experience and all this knowledge that you have now? Uh, what would I do differently? What would we do differently? Boy, there's a lot. I mean, I guess big picture, it's hard to come back right now and say, specific because our kids all love God. Zero trouble. Seriously. Um, except for my oldest one. He's a jerk most of the time. But he's a good kid. He loves me. Actually, it's pretty funny. He's a very straight, straight up guy. That's, that's what gets him in trouble. Um, man, what would Lori say? She'd <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably be careful with Mary. Uh, calendar, big trips. We learned this from Willow Creek from Bill Hyman. He said, you know, we didn't, we couldn't always do like every week schedule sometimes, and as much as we tried. But I will say. I'm going to say what we did do, and I would do it again. Make sure, guys, that you are sharing the blessing with your kids. Make sure that you are, that as much as you can, when you can, um, you're believing God that your kids will not always have to grow up not having, or they're the ones that have to go down to the neighbor's house because they have the Xbox that works. Um, there were things that we made sure our boys got the benefit of the blessing of God. Big trips is what Bill Pyle said to this day they still do. That there more, there was more fruit coming out of their big trip experiences uh, as family. And sometimes you can't leave the state or sometimes you don't have the money. But uh, you know, it's hard to say if we would go back and do it all over again. Daniel, do you have a thought as to what Lori would say, what we would do all over? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Because Daniel, seriously, he talks, I mean they talk all the time. I don't know. I don't think so. Or has she ever expressed anything to <laughs> And let me just say, this is how we roll as a church. <laughs> this is how we kind of like, oh, all right. Uh, sorry. What was your, your family's outlet? Group ministry? Yeah. Get together as you guys Where do we go? Yeah, growing up. Well, of course, we didn't do much. We were like that Six Flags commercial where the kids were outside filling up the, the little kitty pool watching Six Flags kids on the TV, and then they're like, oh, that would be great. Um, I mean, 
we tried to do the six life things back in the day when we didn't have money or little day trips. Uh, of course, they were always involved in sports. Um, the outlet thing was just, uh, I, didn't, I, 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 I love playing golf. I, I quit playing golf. Um, when you got three kids at the house, that's just, I can pick that up and I'm almost be able to start picking it up regularly now that Jackson leaving the house here this year, hopefully, he doesn't get suspended. But, uh, you know, we, we enjoyed, we'd go out a lot uh, and uh, visit our family and just make it. We just, and we tried to make our home fun. And just try to make sure the environment never got. We didn't bring that church to home. Um, we didn't want them to hate the church and hate, hate what God was doing. You know, even in the good days. Uh, great questions. Good thoughts. A lot of it is, we just, what I do love is what the Bible tells us. You know, you have an anointing from the Holy One. No man needed to teach you, but He abides with you. He will lead you. He'll instruct you. He'll quicken you. Make sure that your best enemy is not always going to the church. Make sure that your virtue, as Jesus had virtue right now, uh, is only going to people rather than your own children. And, uh, one more and we'll go. We got baby together when we hit the scripture. Yeah. Did you have any values of the champion values of Yeah. You serve God or die. That was that's one that we always said. <laughs> you go to church or you die. Um, and we would we would we would just say holiness, righteousness. Uh, it's good to have a name like champion. I'd say, hey, you have a champion. So there's a lot of things I can use on that. Uh, this is how we roll. Transparency, uh, valuing people. My kids were not raised to be the young or the little princes around the church. Uh, even to this very day, uh, a lot of people would not know. We just did, we, we were very careful of nepotism. If you were my congregation, uh, there are some systems of churches where the, the pastors are the kings and the queens, and here are the subjects. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all are the, the subjects. And we hold court. And tell you what to do, you pay your taxes, and we'll see you next week. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so we value people, treat people like Solomon said. So, very careful to handle people. Very careful. We were not hard on our kids. We were, uh, but yet, our own. Didn't let them know. We were, Lori and I were always in agreement in our discipline. We were, uh, everything in balance, everything with with a deep meaning, but we were big proponents of growing kids God's way. We were teachers of that. That was a part of our, we love the principles now. Some people can take that same material and become Satan himself. Just like they can take the Bible and become Satan from the scripture that he was twisted. But we were growing kids God's way. Uh, and a lot of that comes, our values and what drove us. God, honoring God, thinking about people. So like, I'm not a, when our kids were able, we did not allow and would do a lot of public restaurants until they did not destroy the experience of the table next to them. We don't have the right, and this is how we were raised. And we raise our kids. We don't have the right to go to Cracker 
And then, yeah, I love Cracker Barrel. We don't have the right to go to Cracker Barrel and act like a fool. And then that family that's next to us, this might be the biggest meal they're going to have all month. Who are we to go and ruin their experience because you guys can't sit down in the bed and eat your meal with a proper and with proper man? So a lot of other oriented, a lot of these sensitive people, and, and never mistreat people. Fastest way to get fired on staff is being mean to people. You can kill somebody, but you better not be mean. To people. <laughs> we fired a guy who was on staff for what? One week? One week. Yeah, one week. One week last week. He was on staff for one week. He manifested about 12 people all of a sudden like or I got bored. I love this guy. Good friend. Boy. He came on set of we can't. We don't do me. We don't do that. You do a lot of bad things, but don't do that. Smoke dope, I'll work with you, but don't you